believe this is the last week of the study for this session. Hadn't this gone by fast? Um, well, today we're going to start out with love, the heart of a champion. I think you've got some little notes there. And guess where we're going? The very first scripture. Where would you think if we're talking about love, where are we going in the Bible? <laughs> Go ahead and turn there. 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to start in verse 1. And now I will show you the most excellent way. The most excellent way. If I speak in tongues and of men and of angels and I have not love, I am only a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy... And I can fathom all mysteries, if I have all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I surrender my body to flames, but I have not love, I am nothing. Love is. Now listen to what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight itself in evil, but it rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Skip to 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Amen. Um, today I want you to go back with me. Um, to 1973. And y'all may remember this story, but I want you to hear it with spiritual ears this morning. Um, do y'all remember a horse named Secretariat? And there is, in the horse racing world, uh, a racing series called the Triple Crown. And that was a three-race series, and that consisted of the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont Stakes. And Secretariat came on the scene, and he was just a, a nobody horse. Nobody expected him to do anything. There was no, you know, big fuss over him. And all of a sudden, he came on the scene, and in the first quarter mile of the Kentucky Derby, which was the first race in the um, series, he, he just blew out of the gate. And he ran faster in that first quarter mile than any horse had ever run in history. He was on world record pace. And the announcers were looking at him going, oh, my word, he is going to blow up. He started out of the gate too fast. And he, when he finished that race, he did not blow up. He run, won that race by two and a half lengths ahead of the next closest finisher. And they were just going, he didn't just win this race with every quarter of a mile. The race was one and a quarter miles long. He continued to increase his pace. So by the time he finished, he was getting faster 
and faster and faster. And, I mean, this just blew the announcers away. They could not imagine how this horse had done that. And it really just started a media frenzy. And they said, they were calling him words like, oh, he is truly magnificent. And that week he was on the cover of Time magazine, of Newsweek, and of Sports Illustrated. And the caption was, a champion has been born. Um, The next race in the series was the Preakness. And that was the second race in the Triple Crown. And it says that the announcers even had trouble finding adjectives, finding words to describe how wonderful he was. Um, They said if they had compared him in human terms, he would have been like the Heisman Trophy winner, the um, Rhodes Scholar, and Miss America all rolled into one. He was just something else, and the whole nation was abuzz about him. And his second victory was even more awe-inspiring than his first one. Um, As he came out of the gate, Secretariat was in last position. He was the last horse out of the gate. And they said that um, this track was very, very tight. And they said that it was suicidal. It was considered suicidal to go around that first turn too tight, I mean too fast, because you might just have a tumble and you would cause yourself to wreck and every other horse in the field. But Secretariat paid no attention to that. By the time he got around the first turn, he was already stretching it out to lead. And again, he won that race by two and a half lengths. And the the announcers, as they were just screaming into the, the microphones that day, they were saying, you just don't do what he did today. You just don't do that. Secretariat was blowing everybody's mind. Then comes the third race, the Belmont Stakes. And um, listen to who his competitor was, Sham. Now, remember, we're listening with spiritual ears. In the first part of this race, Sham is running neck and neck with Secretariat. And then, all of a sudden, Secretariat begins to pull off and leave him. And he won that race that day by 31 lengths. They said it was the biggest, I mean, people were just amazed at this horse. And the um, announcers began to ask the jockey, they said, why? You, halfway through the race, you knew you were going to win. You were blowing the field away. And why did you keep pushing this horse so hard? And he said, I had nothing to do with it. He said, it was like I was riding on the wind. He had a mind of his own. He said, I couldn't have held him back if I tried. And he said that morning in the gate that he was just in, inside the stall, he was raring and he was kicking and bucking. They said his eyes were rolling back in his head. And that he knew, this horse knew that this was a big race for him. And the horse that he beat that day, Sham, never ran another race again in his life. He, was t- he ran so hard that he injured himself permanently and couldn't stay up with Secretariat. And... Um, and they said that he, the jockey said that he could not have held him back had he wanted to. And they would just began to say, well, what, what was so special about Secretariat? And they never knew this until after Secretariat died. He died in October the 4th, 1989. And they realized after his death that his heart 
was two and a half times larger than a normal heart of a horse. See, his heart weighed 22 pounds, and a normal heart would have weighed about eight and a half pounds. His heart was supernaturally, and it was a normal, healthy heart. He just was supernaturally, the Lord built him with an enlarged heart where he could run faster and longer and, and he could just stay the course. As, as time went on, he just could run harder and harder and harder because the Lord had supernaturally gifted him. And they said that when he went out to run a race, he did not merely intend to run the race. He intended to run the greatest race ever. And as I listened to that story, it just began to stir in my spirit. Lord, I want you to do that with my life. I want you to increase my heart. Enlarge my heart, Lord. You can supernaturally do that. Um, (laughs) Increase my capacity to love, Father, so that I will love the things that you love. I don't want to finish this race and just think, oh, I got through it. But I want to run the best race ever. And I'm looking at y'all and I'm thinking, I bet you're the same way, aren't you? You don't want to just get through this life. We want to run the best race ever. Um, Look up Psalms 119, verse 32. And you see, this is biblical. This is what um, is said there. I shall run in the way of thy commandment, for thou wilt enlarge my heart. See, we can ask God to enlarge our hearts, can't we? And he is perfectly capable of doing that. Champions for God will have, number one, increased love for Him. You'll have increased love for God. And you will, second, have increased love for others. Increased love for the things that He loves, and that's His people. Go with me to Matthew 22, starting with verse 36. Matthew twenty two thirty six. Teacher, which of these is the greatest commandments in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, how do we get to that place of that great love? You know, we've all heard it said that hurt people hurt people. Hadn't you heard that? But I truly believe that the opposite is also true. I think loved people love people. And if you know the love of the Heavenly Father, then you can begin to love in supernatural ways. Um, You know, to share the love of Jesus, you've got to know the love of Jesus. And we do this by getting into his presence. You know, I was thinking about, um, for myself, I'm not really an academic person. And so studying and, and reading is hard for me. It's hard for me to study the Bible. But I can get into the presence of the Lord, and it is like time just flies. I mean, that intimate place, I encourage you 
to get into that intimate place with the Lord, spend time with Him daily, begin to talk to Him just like you would a friend, and then begin to listen to Him download. And that's how you get to know how much He loves you. And then that's when the overflow comes. You give out of a place of love. Go with me to Ephesians 3. This is a scripture that I I often, I've got it marked in my Bible, pray for my family. I pray this for myself, and I'm praying it for each one of us in this room today. Ephesians 3, let's start with verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You see, he doesn't want this just to be a head knowledge. He wants this love to get in our spirits, to get in our hearts, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. How much can you ask and how much can you imagine? He can do immeasurably more than that according to the his power that is at work within who us his power is working inside of us to grasp how wide how deep how high is the love of Jesus Christ to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Now, can you pray that for yourself? That's a promise. The Lord wants you to know how much He loves you. And if it is in His Word, He'll do that for you. Um, Let's turn again back to 1 Corinthians 13. And we're going to start in verse 4 and look at what love is again. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil but it rejoices with truth. Does that make you wonder, have I ever loved? (laughs) As I was reading this week in Jeremiah um, chapter 38, this, this story just jumped out at me, and it just taught me about the love of Jesus. And in this story, in Jeremiah chapter 38, it is talking about, Jeremiah was a prophet 
in the Old Testament. And he came to God's people and he was telling them, the Lord is going to judge you. You're not doing right and he's going to turn you over to Babylon. And these people just, they didn't listen to him. As a matter of fact, it says that some of the men got so tired of hearing what Jeremiah was prophesying to them that they said, we're going to throw him in a cistern. Go to 38 verse 6. So they took Jeremiah and they put him in a cistern. They lowered Jeremiah by ropes into a cistern, and it had no water. It only had mud. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud. And then it says that there was, um, I would tell you all this guy's name, but I'm just going to call him the Cushite because um, I can't pronounce his name. But anyway, the, this Cushite comes to the king and he says, we can't do this to this man of God. To Jeremiah, he's been prophesying to us, and he's going to die in that hole. He's just going to starve to death. And so the king says, well, okay, you go get 30 of your men, and let's pick up in verse 11. So um, he took men with him, and he went to the room under the treasury in the palace, and he took some old rags and some worn-out clothes from there, and he let them down with the ropes to Jeremiah in the cistern. And they hollered to Jeremiah, put these old rags and these worn-out clothes under your arms to pad the ropes. And so Jeremiah did. And they pulled him up with the ropes, and they lifted him out of the cistern. And Jeremiah remained in the courtyard of the guard. And as I thought about this story, I thought, you know what? I think that's really a lot of people in the body of Christ right now. You know, we may have just been thrown into a pit. And you're really a good person. You've been walking around proclaiming God's truth. And all of a sudden, you're just in a pit. And you're sinking down in the mud. But the king, the king of kings, has come into the house and he said, Go get my kid out of that cistern. And he's going to put kindness and tenderness in those people that are lifting you out. Can you imagine what Jeremiah thought? They didn't just throw any old rope down and put rope burns under his arms. But they took some rags and he wrapped them around. And they gently pulled him out of that pit. Is that not love? That is kindness and that is gentleness. So if you're in a pit, I want you to expect that gentle lift up. One more time, we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 13. And this time I want you to look at verse 7. Love is what it's talking about. Love always protects. It always trusts. Always hopes. And always perseveres. Love never Love always perseveres. Um, Last week, Miss Dean did such a beautiful job of teaching us how to never, ever give up. And today I've got a a little video clip that I want you to watch, and it's from the movie Facing the Giants. And I just want us to picture this coach as the Holy Spirit speaking in to your life. Again, I want you just to to watch this clip with spiritual ears. 
Your attitude's like the aroma of your heart. If your attitude stinks, it means your heart's not right. Sure, it's pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. What? How's your attitude, Brock? It's fine. Then you'll be okay with the death crawl, right? Oh. All right, everybody on the goal line. Get your partner. Let's go. All right, let's go. Show me something. Ten yards. Move it. Move it. Let's go. Let's go, Matt. Let's go. Let's go, Jonathan. Show me something. Ten yards. Show me some power. No need. Keep your knees off the ground. Show me something. There we go. Ten yards. Show me some muscle. Show me some power. Give me some heart. Let's go. Very good, boy. Very good. Let's run it back. So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I know we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. <laughs> 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. I get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right. Let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground. Just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. It's a good start. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. That's it, Brock. That's it. Find the 20 yet? Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. Hey, done. Just rest in a second. You got to keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Keep driving it. Keep, dri keep your knees off the ground. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on, keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know he's heavy. I'm by her strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going, you hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. 
Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. 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 It's all ours. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You have your back. Your back. Don't stop. Keep going. Too hard. It's not too hard. You keep going. Come on, Brock. Give me more. Give me more. Keep going. Twenty more steps. Twenty more. Keep going, Brock. Give me your back. Don't quit. Defeated, so will they. Oh, tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140-pound man across this whole field on your arms. Brock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Coach? Can I count on you? Yes. Coach? What is it, Jeremy? Power 160. You cannot carry the burden that you've got, not one more step. And the Holy Spirit is in your face. He says, cover your eyes. You will not fail. You listen to his voice. Don't quit. Don't give up. One more step. One more step. I'm putting you in the end zone. My love never Never fail. So how do we feed our faith? How do we activate this measure of faith? We hear the Word of God. We get into the Word of God. We eat it like it's our daily bread. A few years ago, I was walking through a trial, and I didn't think I had the faith to claim those promises in my life. And so I I heard this verse. I heard a teaching. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So what I did is I started eating this. I started looking up every promise for that need. I started listening to different preachers, Bible truth preachers that would preach the Word of God. I started buying cassettes, listening to CDs, getting on the Internet. And what it did is it fed the faith in me so that it could come forth in my life. 
And I want to tell you, it worked. This is truth. Because my faith went from being a P to at least a stock. And so you need more faith in your life? Hear the Word of God. Get in the Word of God. And I want to say to you, do it when things are going good so that when the trials and the temptations of life come in, you are ready and you are prepared. But you see, faith and hope aren't just enough. 1 John 5, 4 says this. This is the, or 1 John 5, 3, I'm going to start. This is love for God, to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Even our faith. Notice here, it talks about loving God, just like Lena spoke about. It talks about being born of God. If we're born of God and God is love, we then overcome the world through what? Being born of love and our faith. That is the victory that we have. Love and faith are tied closely together. Galatians 5, 6 says this. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith that expresses itself through love. Another translation says faith worketh by love. You see, faith and love are tied together, just like that boy doing the death crawl. It was the love that was pushing him on, the determination that was pushing him on through the pain and through the wanting to quit. But you see, faith was right on that back saying, you can do it. I'm believing in those promises. I'm taking hold of the Word of God. So go, go, go. But it all expresses itself through love. I want to give you an example of a champion in the Word of God. Who showed this? And so I want you to look, go toward, go to Luke 7. Luke 7, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. And remember, faith and love are tied together here. Luke 7, 1 through 10. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurious servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Okay. Jesus was amazed. 
Who in here wants to amaze Jesus, the Son of God? He was amazed at this man, and he said, He has found great faith. Only twice did Jesus say that. Here with this Roman centurion, and then in Matthew 15 with the Canaanite woman who asked Jesus to heal her, her daughter that was demonized. So twice did he say, There is great faith. And even here, Jesus is amazed. So why do you think he had great faith? Number one, I want to say he was not a Jew. He was a Roman centurion. So that means if he was not a Jew, he was not under the Jewish law. The New Testament calls the law, the law of sin and death. Because the law was never intended for us to fulfill it to reach salvation. Salvation can only come through what? Grace. Jesus Christ. And so if he is not under the law, then he's not under condemnation. Notice in this verse that when the... Um, Jews went to see Jesus in verse 4. They, they said, this man deserves to have you do this. You see, that was their mindset. The Jewish people were under law. So they were trying to fulfill every legalistic thing to earn salvation, to earn the blessings of God, to earn the favor of God. But what was this Roman centurion's response? I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you. I don't believe that that's insecurity. I don't believe that's feeling helpless. I believe that's humility. I don't deserve this. But I understand that you're a man of authority. You see, so this Roman centurion didn't operate out of legalism. He was even right then operating out of grace. He was understanding that love didn't come from his own self-righteous acts, his own works, but that it was a free gift. And then he understood authority. He himself was a man of authority. It meant that when he spoke, he had the whole Roman Empire standing behind him. And if he told someone to come, they had to come. Or if he told someone to go, they had to go. And so when he looked to Jesus, he knew he was a man of authority. He knew that when Jesus spoke, that the God of Israel would stand behind those words and would accomplish what was sent. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. This man had faith in the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is grace and, is, and truth, and his words, which are spirit and life. So he operated our love. And notice, he wasn't even seeking this healing for himself. It was for a servant. It says in verse 2, whom his master valued highly. Value means to hold precious, to honor. You see, I believe that this man operated out of grace and love and then was able to love those around us, love that person around him. And so he was valuing this servant's life so much. And so we see out of the grace, out of the authority, and then out of love for his servant, Jesus spoke. And what happened? The servant was made well. Jesus was amazed, amazed at this man's great faith. You see, when Lana just a minute ago said, loved people, love people. Have you ever noticed that when you feel loved, when you feel accepted, that it's so much easier to love those people who are hard to love around you? 
You see, but if you don't feel loved and if you don't feel good enough, if like that song we are singing, if you don't know who you are, it's hard to love those unlovable people. But you see, love and faith work hand in hand. And in this instance, authority, faith, and love brought about a great miracle. There was one other time in the Bible that Jesus was amazed. And that's in Mark 6. If you want to turn there, Mark 6. And we're going to look at just the first five uh, scriptures here. Mark 6. And I'm not going to read every scripture, but I'm just going to give you the gist of what's happening here. Jesus has gone into his hometown. And he's brought his disciples, and he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he starts teaching. And the people become amazed. But then all of a sudden, they start talking. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's the wisdom that's been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this just Mary's son and brother of James and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters with us? And notice right after that in verse 3 what happens. And they took offense at him. First, Jesus comes in and starts teaching on this Sabbath in the synagogue to the Jewish people who were under the law. And they're like, wow. But then they took offense at him. They didn't recognize Jesus' authority. They looked at him in the natural. They started becoming self-righteous in their own self. And they got a bitter, hard heart. And guess what happened then? Only, it says, he could, do, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus had been amazed with the Roman centurion's faith. But here in his own hometown, he was amazed at their lack of faith. And we see that because of the lack of honor, the lack of love for Jesus, and the lack of faith, only a few miracles were performed. You know, as a champion, I want to be one that has great faith. You know, faith, though, is nothing unless it roots itself in love. Because love is going to be the driving force behind our faith. So I want to ask you, in your prayers right now, in the things that you're believing for, do you feel like you are full of faith? And I want to suggest to you that if you don't feel full of faith, then you need to get back in love. Because faith expresses itself through love. Think about a car. A car is faith. It's brand new. It has a great engine. And think about love being the gas. Well, that faith is no good, right, if it's not got filled up with love, the gas that pushes that faith on. So if you're feeling depleted, if you're feeling lack of faith, get into the Word and get into God. Fill up the love tank so that your faith can take what's heaven from heaven and what's in the spiritual realm and bring it into your own life. You know, recently, within the last two years, I experienced this. My, my husband and I were going through a hard time financially. I talked to you all about that last year in Rhema. But, you know, we weren't sure what was going to happen with our business. We weren't sure if he was going to try to find a new job, if we were going to move, if I needed to go back to work. And, and it was just a long, drawn-out process. And I felt like I was just banging the doors of heaven every day. Lord, supply our needs. Give us direction. Give us discernment. 
And it was like one day as I was just sitting in the presence of God, I felt just the whisper of the Holy Spirit just ask me this simple question. Anne, do you believe I love you? And me being my good church self, of course, Jesus loves me. I sing the song, I know the song. And I've just felt him whisper again, Anne, do you believe I really love you? And I just sat there and I knew, okay, he's trying to make a point here. And then I felt him say, Anne, if your earthly father loves you, which you know he does, and wants to supply all of your needs, how much more do you think I want to supply all of your needs? And I want to tell you, it was through receiving the love of my father that faith was ignited. That faith came alive and I said, that's right, my God will supply all of my needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's right, my God loves me and he has made me an overcomer. He has made me the head and not the tail. But where did the faith come from? The faith came from knowing the love of the Father. It was the love that was pushing me forth in the hard times and through the pain to grab hold of what God wanted to give me. You see, I believe faith is the connector. It is the connector that brings the power from heaven to meet the need on earth. And so if there's not the faith connector, you've got these resources in heaven, these healings in heaven, the salvation in heaven waiting to be released with this need on earth. But we've got to do our part and let the faith connect these two things. You see, as champions, our faith should be appropriating everything that Jesus Christ bought for us on the cross. So what did he buy on the cross for us? Salvation. That word salvation is sozo. And sozo means healed, whole, and delivered. We know that Jesus Christ on the cross bought us freedom. Freedom from our past hurts. Freedom from our wounds. We know that Jesus Christ brought for us, bought for us healing. He says, by my stripes, I'm he- you are healed. By my stripes, you are healed. He bought for us love and authority and victory. But it is going to be our faith as a champion, which brings this victory in Jesus, just like we sang about, into our lives in a championship way. John Wesley, the primary figure and founder of the Methodism in the 18th century, says this. Faith is the handmaid of love. Biblical faith is so entangled with love that it does not exist without it. Faith and love go hand in hand. Faith is expressed through the love of the Father coming down from heaven to us and being released to the world around us. I loved, I can't remember what one of those songs said. If we walk defeated, then how, it was in that movie, if we walk defeated, how will those around us walk? You see, we are to be the carriers of the kingdom of God. We are to be the light of the world. So if we're walking defeated lives, how will those around us know the Jesus Christ who is the victory? You see, we're supposed to stand up in love and confidence in our great and mighty Deliverer. And we need to step into that box with authority, knowing that Jesus Christ said, I have given you all authority on earth and in heaven to overcome all the power of the enemy. 
Paul said this, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall persecution, hardship, famine? And he says, No, for we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. So as a champion for Christ, we've got to rise up victorious, grounded, rooted and grounded in God's love. And as we stay rooted and grounded in his love, hope is birthed in us, the hope of glory. And when the hope is produced in us, faith is activated. And when faith is activated, authority is received. And when authority is received, victory is achieved. That is how we rise up, a champion for Christ. You know, these last seven weeks, I just want to remind you what you've been taught, what the Word of God says. If you've been born of God and born of love, you've been called, you've been chosen, and you have been anointed. When you said yes to God, Jesus said, follow me. And we stay behind Jesus, just like Peter and the disciples, and they laid everything down to follow Jesus Christ. And then we learned that we've got to stir up passion within us, because life gets tough, but passion will always trump logic. And then we learned that we've got to hear the coach's voice. We've got to hear our Father's voice and not follow a stranger. And as we listen to his voice, we decide we're getting off of the sidelines and stepping into the game. And we will do our training to be the champion for Christ. But there will be times on your journey you will be wounded and you will feel weak. But that's okay because God is the healer and he will meet you right where you are. So you evaluate that wound and you allow him to heal you and you get back on that race set before you. And when you do that, you're going to then have perseverance like Dean talked about. Perseverance and love and faith and victory to finish that race set before you. I want to read you Hebrews 12 too. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the champion, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. With such a great cloud of witnesses, They're talking about all the people in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep being motivated by love. And we will one day amaze Jesus with our great faith. And we will bring victory on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to ask my sweet little friend, Darlene Kelly, to come up and close us out today. Darlene, the past eight to nine weeks, has risen up a champion. A champion during hardship, through trial. But she kept her eyes on Jesus. So we've asked her to come up and share her testimony and to end with a song. And so I just right now, before she comes up, I just want to pray over us. Father, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would open our ears to you. Give us spiritual ears to hear your words. I pray, Father, for your anointing to just flow through Darlene as she speaks. We thank you, Father, that you say we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So we say today, testify to God's goodness today. Testify to the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we be partakers of that, Father, so that we too can rise up champions for you and you alone.
In Jesus' name. August the 18th. My husband, it was a Saturday. My husband needed to run out of town, a little town called Goodwater in Alabama, right next to Alexander City, which is about an hour away from Montgomery. He does a little mechanic work on the side, and he needed to do one of his niece's cars to work on her car. Well, that was the weekend right before school started, and I needed to finish up some school shopping. I had done for Cora and AJ, for those of you who don't, who don't know, we have three children. Victoria, she's 15. Cora is 9, and AJ is 8. Cora will be 10 next week. And uh, he took Cora and AJ with him because they have cousins up there that are their age to play with. And I told him that me and Victoria needed to stay behind because I had to finish up school shopping for her. So he went up there and we stayed behind. We did the shopping. We had, it was lunchtime. We stopped for lunch to get something to eat. Well, Victoria's cell phone rang, and it was my sister-in-law. She said she had been trying to get me on my cell phone, but sometimes I have my phone on vibrate or whatever, and apparently I did not hear it. She had tried to call me several times. So Victoria passed me the phone, and my sister-in-law was telling me, something is wrong with Cora. Something is wrong with Cora. And I'm wondering, what's wrong with Cora? She's sick. You know, maybe she just, you know, I don't know. I didn't really think anything serious. She said, something is wrong with Cora. She was outside playing, and she came in. And the kids went into the bedroom to play video games, and she got ill, and she vomited. And then she came in, and she tried to talk to me, but she was confused. She tried to tell me something, but she kept saying, I can't remember. I can't remember. I, what was she trying to I don't know what she was trying to tell me. And I said, well, I told her something earlier in the day to tell you. You know, so maybe that's what she was trying to tell you. Yeah, but there's something wrong. There's something wrong with her. So I said, okay, well, um, let Arthur look at her because I did not think it was anything serious. I said, well, let Arthur, you know, see what's wrong with her. So anyway, um, I got a call back again, and um, she said after Cora vomited and she was trying to talk to her, she went to get the sheets off the bed to wash them, and when she came back, Cora had her head laying on the kitchen table. And the way she described it, she said Cora was foaming at the mouth. And she said she called Arthur in, that's my husband, she called him in, and I guess he could look at her and tell something was wrong with her. And he asked her a simple question, who am I? And Cora could not even say, your dad. She was so confused. She was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. She knew who he was, but she couldn't say it. And he knew something was wrong. So he told me he was going to take her to the emergency room. The emergency room, the closest one was in Alexander City, Russell Hospital. And so he took her to the emergency room. And he told uh, Victoria and I, he said, uh, y'all come on up and, and meet me there at the emergency room. So we had an hour to go to get there. And um, I called my neighbor because we're very, very close to my next door neighbor. Um, and uh, I called her to let her know what was going on. I said, well, something is wrong with Cora, and Arthur took her to the emergency room, so we're getting ready to go to Goodwater. And uh, my neighbor, God, has just given her such wisdom. And she said, come home first. She said, come home first and pack an overnight bag. So I said, okay. So me and Victoria ran to the house. We started packing clothes, didn't know what to expect, and um 
she said, I'm going to drive you. And so that was an awesome blessing because I was a little bit stressed right at that moment. Didn't know what was going on. And she said, I'm going to drive you. So I said, thank you. Thank you. So she got in the car. We got in the car. She drove us up there. We're on the way up there. Arthur's calling several times, you know. And, and, and I'm like, what's going on, Arthur? What's going on? And he's like, you know, just get here. Just get here. Um, get here as fast as you can. You know, he said, if you have to speed, speed. I'll pay the speeding ticket. I don't care. Just get up here. So, you know, I know it's something serious. You know, he's telling me to speed and get up there. So um, we were like two minutes away from the place. And, and, and he called and he said, um, I don't, I don't even remember if he had told me she had had this, a seizure at this time or not. Um, sometimes things are a blur to me because it all just happened so fast. But what Cora was doing, she was having a seizure. She had never experienced the seizure in her life that we had known of. And um, this is what was happening to her. She was in a seizure. And by the time we got about two minutes away from the hospital, he called me and he said, um, they just put her on the ventilator. And I was like, oh, my God, the ventilator, you know, what is going on here? And and uh, she turned that corner, and we were there at the hospital, and she said, just get out. I'll find parking. And I got out, and I ran into there, and I told them who I was, and they let me go to the back, and, and there's my baby laying on the bed, unconscious, on oxygen, you know, not being able to breathe, but what had happened, they had given her medicine for the for the seizure, and um, she kept on. The seizure was so strong, it was so powerful, she would not get, it would not let her go, and they had to give her a second dose of the medication, and it just cut off her oxygen. It cut off her oxygen, and they had to give her the ventilator, and anyway, we went through all of that, and um, they said, we're going to have to get her to Birmingham. It was cloudy that day. They said they were going to send a helicopter. A helicopter couldn't come because it was cloudy that day. And here we are. Come on. Birmingham is an hour away. Come on. You know, what are we going to do? So they, we had to wait for an ambulance to come from Birmingham and get her. And then the ambulance had to go back up to Birmingham. Nobody could be in the ambulance with her. You know, so we're just following the ambulance under all of this. And, um, you know, when, when it started, uh, the, the Holy Spirit led me. You know, I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, who to call? Who to call? I need to get the prayer real prayer rolling. I need to get the prayer rolling. Who to call? And the previous night we had been at the prison ministry, um, myself, Pam, and um, Barbara Fowler. And the Holy Spirit let me call Pam Miller, call Pam Miller. So I grabbed the um, church registry and I called her. I said, Pam, I just let her know what all I knew. I said, Pam, can you get, can get, make some phone calls? And, and she started making phone calls for prayer to go on. And uh, we got to Birmingham and People had been calling, started calling and saying, we're praying for you, you know, and all of this. And um, she was still unconscious when she got there, uh, but she finally came out of it. And I know it was the prayers that she came out of it. When we got to Birmingham and they unhooked her to everything, she came out of it. And they started taking tests to find out what was going on. And um, that weekend, they couldn't find anything. And, and then they scheduled some more tests. And, and, and people are just praying for us. This, was, this is the love. This, was, this is what, what Lana and Anna are talking about. This is the love in action because people were praying for us. And, and people were calling us and encouraging us and just letting us know, you know, uh, we're with you. Whatever you need, we're with you. And... Um, she had CT scans, she had EEG, she had MRI, and um, by the time she had the MRI, uh, the, the neurologist here in Montgomery said, you know, it looks like a tumor. It looks like a tumor. 
on her brain because it was swelling. She showed it to me. And she said, you got to go back to Birmingham. We went back to Birmingham. She said, he'll be able to tell you more about it, the surgeon. So the surgeon looked at it. He said, uh, that, 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 that looks like a tumor. And he said, we're going to have to go in. Um, because I don't know if we're going to be able to get it all out, he said, but maybe we can go in and just get a sample of it and see what it is, you know, and treat it that way. And, you know, here we are, our daughter's going to have to have brain surgery, you know, and, but we prayed and we, and, and, you know, we just asked God to just help us through this like anybody would, you know, pray, God, help us through this, give us strength, give us strength in this. Um, and, and one of my prayers was, Lord, help me to stay strong in this. You know, yes, my stomach is turning. Yes, my stomach is doing somersaults. But help me to stay strong in this. Help me to be an example. Help us to be strong in front of her and help me to be an example to others because others are going to be watching us through this, Lord. I said, this is going to be a testimony, Lord. I said, however it ends, it's going to be a testimony. And you know, God. You know I'm going to share the testimony. You know I'm going to give you the glory in this. I'm not taking anything for myself. And God knows I love to praise him. I love to worship him. And he knows. I said, whatever you do, Lord, I'm going to share it. I'm going to tell it. And anyway, when it was time, you know, they just scheduled the surgery. We had to go for surgery in Birmingham the night before. We had an MRI. She had to take another MRI. She had the MRI. And God just gave me such an overwhelming peace. I mean, it was just unimaginable. I had never experienced peace like that in my whole life. I'm sitting in there, and she's in that MRI tube, and I'm just so peaceful. I'm falling asleep, just, you know, whatever. That's how peaceful I was through it. Well, that next morning, we got up 530. We took her to the hospital, and she's in there, taking, took her back to the pre-op, and Pam Miller came up there for support, love again. That's love, love in action. And I know everybody can't come. But, but the, for those of you who prayed, for those of you who knew about it, I thank you. Thank you for your prayers. But Pam Miller showed up in person and, and uh, just for more support. She was also up there for more support for others as well. And so when they took her back to the pre-op, they started getting her ready. And, uh, you know, anesthesiologist after anesthesiologist just kept coming in, telling her what they're going to do to her and making her more and more nervous throughout this, you know, and we're just saying, it's going to be all right, honey. It's going to be all right. We've prayed, you know, we just got to believe God. It's going to be all right. I don't want to do it, mommy. I don't want to. I'm scared. And, and you could imagine parents dealing with that, you know. And, 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 and then the physician, the, the surgeon came in. We were like, when are we going to see the surgeon? We want to see the surgeon. The surgeon came in and he said, you know what? I looked at the MRI, the second MRI, and he said, I got a clearer picture. He said, right now I'm thinking it's not a tumor. And he said, it looks like a whatever the name was he gave it. And he said, I'm going to go back here, and I'm going to get with my team, and we're going to look at it again, he said. And I'm going to come back in about 20 minutes, and I'll let you know the conclusion that we come up with. So we're sitting there waiting. More anesthesiologists are coming, telling us the same story over again. And Arthur's like, you know what? I'm waiting on the surgeon. And I thank God for his faith. That man stood through it. Uh, I would say, well, we got to get core ready. we got to go for the surgery. What surgery? Oh, no surgery. She's not having any surgery, you know, and I can look back and laugh at it, but he meant that. He did not want them to lay a hand on her. But the, the faith that God gave me was, you know what, if they lay a hand on her, if they have to do it, they're going to do it, and it's going to be all right. Either way, God deals with people differently in situations. And, but he just wasn't having it. And uh, when that surgeon came back in there, 
he said, I got with my team and we looked at the MRI, he said, and we've determined it's not a tumor. It's not a tumor. He, basically, it was a blood vessel that had burst. That's what he told us. It wasn't an aneurysm, but it was a vessel that had burst. And basically, we still had to watch her. We, she's still on anti-seizure medication. But, you know, just watch her. We'll do another MRI in about a month. So I said, well, what do we do now? He said, well, she can get dressed and go home. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Cora was so happy. She threw her hands up in the air. She said, yes. And when the, when the surgeon walked out of the room, she got out that bed so quick. She jumped out that bed. We all hugged. We cried. We thanked God in that hospital room. Didn't care who heard us. Didn't care. We was giving God the glory. And I went out there to tell Pam. I said, Pam, she doesn't have to have the surgery. Then me and Pam was crying in the, in the waiting room. We was crying and praising God that she didn't have to have the surgery because people labored in prayer for her. People labored, hundreds of people. People were passing the word around. That's love. While we was going through it, up and back and forth to Birmingham, people was taking my children to school. That's love. People was putting money in our hand. That's love because they said, you got extra expenses. That takes gas going up and down through there. Here, thank God for love. That was love. She got a prayer shawl. That was love. This is love in action, not just talking. Love in action. People doing. And, 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 and you know, it's good to ask, do you need anything? But sometimes you can look and you can see and just go on and take care of the need. Just take care of the needs sometimes. I understand sometimes you do have to ask and people have to tell you, well, I need this, I need that. But people were seeing the need and they were just doing it, making meals, all of that. We needed all of that and they was doing all of that. So we got the victory. She didn't have to have surgery that day. And we thanked God for that. And Pastor Allen showed up right when I went out to tell Pam that she didn't have to have the surgery. And I told Pastor Allen, I said, you know what? Because that night was Ignite or we was having something that Wednesday and we wanted to go to it. But she was having the surgery. Arthur, when we found out she didn't have the surgery, we said, oh, we going to church tonight. We going to church tonight. And I told Pastor Allen, I said, Pastor, I'm sorry, but I'm going to embarrass you tonight. I'm going to embarrass you. I said, because I got to give God some praise for what he has done in our lives. I am so grateful. So we're still in the midst of it. It's not over yet, but we got the victory. We got the victory. She had another MRI on Friday, and we're just waiting for the results of that. But by faith, everything is going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right.